Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. This is episode 66 and you are joining us as we talk today on over-exercising. Allie here along with my co-host Becky Yu. Hey everyone. And we are super pumped to share this topic that is not talked about enough. In fact, many of my clients are, believe it or not, (laughs) the type A overdoers and they wanna push their body to excellence. However, today we're gonna talk about the ramifications of overdoing it and how you know what your body can handle. Yes, I see this as such a big trend and often with, for example, adrenal fatigue clients, it's kind of the last thing that they're they're willing to give up on or willing to to try doing less. And that's where we start to see favorable shifts in their fatigue rebounding. Uh-huh. It's that my favorite phrase, gentle movement therapy. <laughs> We're gonna shift you from your exercise regimen to gentle movement therapy and Believe it or not, sometimes that is the reconfiguration that allows the pounds of body fat to just melt. So we'll talk all about that as a hidden gem. But before we get into today's topic, I want to announce, dun, dun, dun. I mean, pending on what time Brady publishes this, I think we have 24 hours left in the launch of our second round of our virtual ketosis program. So final reminder for you guys, the program is $199. And this includes, or $169 if you opt out of the ebooks, but at that point you should totally get the ebooks, guys. It includes access to six live classes taught by me and moderated by Becky. It has two ebooks if you opt into the $199 again, which includes 50 recipes plus in the Eat Fat Get Skinny cookbook and the Ketogenic Kickstart, which is the protocol, the directions, the research all of the what's and why's behind how ketosis can be used as a cure for a multitude of disease states and symptoms. And we're offering $50 off with the code KETO2018. So be sure to take advantage, not tomorrow, not next week, like right now, like pause the episode, go onto your phone, (laughs) go to AllieMillerD.com, books and programs, Add it to your cart, put in Keto 2018, and we will see you next week in our program. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's happening already. So exciting. <laughs> For sure. We're happening again already. Um, so we just wanted to share with you a couple of the testimonials from our participants from last round. So I'm just going to read a couple. First one, I thoroughly enjoyed the ketosis class. It was so nice to connect with other participants in the Facebook group, which helped me to stay accountable. I feel wonderful and wish I would have done this sooner. I have lost weight, inches, improved my energy levels, and have experienced improved mental clarity. I view food differently and have totally eliminated cravings. I also learned how to change recipes to still taste great, but reduce or eliminate the sugar and carb content. That's such a big win. And then we've got another client, Maureen, who is down six pounds since starting this program, but 43 pounds overall since starting to work with us and kind of dabble into keto since March. And she was down six pounds in her second week because that was a testimonial pulled from Facebook. Yeah. And she said, (laughs) I think this is just what I needed to get me over the hump. (laughs) So she was just doing a low glycemic diet for the first you know, 40, whatever, I guess 30 something pounds and then kicked into keto and she was down six in two weeks. And at the end of the program, I believe she got past her 50 pound mark. So she's pretty pumped. Um, And then I want to share a testimonial from an already keto adapted client because of course, a lot of people come to me after hearing me on other keto or low carb gurus podcasts or have been doing a form of a high fat, low carb diet for years. And this one comes to me from Sloan. 
And she says, it's been one week, one full week using Allie's Boost and Burn supplement. After going keto 11 months ago, I finally had consistent blood ketone readings between one and two at the end of my 16-hour fast all week. And after the scale either not moving or moving in the wrong direction for the last three months, I lost three plus pounds this week, putting me at a total loss of 53 pounds in 11 months. I did four days of 16-8 fast this week. Thank you, Allie. Your program is doing what I had hoped it would, tweaking my keto lifestyle for the better. So regardless of where you are in your journey, whether you've not heard the term keto or you've been doing keto or you've hit a plateau or you're even accelerating and you just want to learn more about functional medicine and want to have camaraderie and group support, this program definitely has a fit for you. So let's just get rocking with today's topic on exercise and over-exercising. So first, let's discuss the dichotomy of exercise versus diet for optimal body composition. Yes, we're always telling you guys, <laughs> at least maybe my clients, maybe fair enough, not you podca- podcast listeners, but we're always saying, I'm always saying that it's not calories in, calories out, right? We are a complex chemistry equation not a calculator it's not a one plus two equals three there are hormonal influences there are definitely micronutritional influences and we'll get into those and how exercise can throw both of those off but generally speaking the mindset used to be that frequent physical activity should make us slim you get on the treadmill you get on the elliptical you burn your calories and that's going to burn those calories off of your body however repeated studies have shown that many people who begin an exercise regimen and program and are tracked with their progress show little or no weight loss and some people even gain weight when doing a exercise program So there was actually a study in the Journal of Obesity Research done, and it actually monitored exercise, food intake, and metabolic rates. And it found that the biggest issue was that the participants' basal metabolic rate, which is basically your baseline calorie burn when not exercising, their basal metabolic rate dropped as they lost weight, even though they exercised each day the exercise that they were doing was not counteracted by their significant drop in their metabolic rate. So even if they were burning 500 calories during an exercise session, their total caloric burn was lower than it would have been if it had been unchanged based on their activity factor. And so they lost significantly less weight than would have been expected and many of them plateaued and or rebounded and gained weight because they were used to eating the calories that they were burning during their exercise. So exercise can often then cause a more dramatic dip in our basal metabolic rate and that extra output would be neutralized. Is that what you're saying? Yep, pretty much. Okay. (laughs) kind of depressing when you're on that that treadmill looking to get you know we're often looking at it like I mean at least I honestly haven't exercised in a gym for almost 10 years now it's almost embarrassing to say but not I'm actually proud of that Um, but I have not exercised in a gym for 10 years for sure and I remember like thinking of it as a video game like trying to achieve a number and that's just not how it works and then I think also with clients we see this kind of halo effect of exercise or turning to treat mentality. So I did my 500 calories on the treadmill. Now I get a treat, right? Absolutely. I burned off a donut worth or I get a crave cupcake because I I deserve it. And the issue is a lot of gyms invest in the machines because they know people are number watchers. Like that's very human nature. So you watch on your um, fill-in-the-blank machine, so your elliptical, your treadmill, your whatever, that you burned 550, and then you, you look at that Crave cupcake and you're like, <laughs> I mean, A, I don't think Crave puts their, sorry to hate on that, any cupcake line, I don't think they put their calories you know, in writing, but many of them are 580 plus. But even if you think you're doing a deficit, like, oh, I'm having a 300-calorie cookie, but that machine said I burned 500-something, 
often those machines are inaccurate. And again, we're not taking into account that scavenging basal metabolic rate, knowing you're putting out more output, so your BMR is dropping in account to that. So it's not based on a, a comparable foundational baseline. So when your BMR dips, that extra burn is coming from a negative burn, if that makes sense. And so often that 300 calories of the 500 you burned could be a gain of 100 calories per se. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. But we are by no means anti-exercise. So let's start off just with benefits of exercise. Yeah, so we can refluff the exercise. Yes. Yep. I will just say, you know, when I show people the visual, it's like diet is 80 to 90% or 90 plus percent of your weight loss struggle. And I will just emphasize that. So if you guys get anything, there's definitely more to come out of this episode. But the biggest thing is like diet is key in your weight loss process, period. So the benefits of exercise. Um, absolutely can be a big influence for our bone health. We know specifically that sitting is the new smoking, right? Because of the influence of being stagnant and how sitting can reduce our circulatory flow. It can be harmful for our cardiovascular health. It can be um, harmful to be sitting and not move our body as far as circulatory flow. So benefits of exercise are, of course, all opposing to that. Benefits of exercise can help our bone mass, our bone density, weight-bearing activity in general. Cardiovascular health can be improved. Our respiratory rate can be improved. Our pulse ox can be improved with exercise. We can get an improvement in our circulation and oxygenation in general in the body. And also that can support our detoxification process with sweat and supporting our lymphatic tissue flow. Exercise beyond that can help with composition change. It can definitely help with toning areas, enhancing lean body mass, and definitely aiding in bulking and mass of muscle gains. And um, it's really the best way as far as utilization through micro tears and like, you know, fatiguing the muscle and then repairing with nutritional compounds. Needing that exercise to tear the muscle is the best way to create those bulking fibers to build and maintain muscle. So absolutely, it is a piece of the puzzle of body composition change. Okay, and then let's let's just do a refresher. I know this is super basic on what aerobic versus anaerobic exercise is and maybe some different examples of that as well as what we would consider functional movement. Yeah, so you know, essentially it breaks down to whether you're using oxygen. So aerobic means with oxygen, anaerobic means without. So I often will tell clients, if you can sing a chorus of your favorite song without <gasps> gasping for breath during it, you are doing aerobic activity. And it's important to note that aerobic activity can actually become anaerobic based on the intensity you're performing it at. So generally speaking, aerobic movement is dance, walking, jogging. It has cadence, it has rhythm. And so women or men that you see jogging and having a conversation are in more of an aerobic cadence state. However, people that are still running, a similar activity, but doing sprints and sprinting as fast as they can um, and shorter spurts of energy. So heavy, heavy weightlifting, um, jumping, um, like squat thrusts and um, jumping jacks, jumping rope. Again, jumping rope could be in a cadence, but generally speaking is going to be more intensive anaerobic. So beyond that, when we're talking about and starting to define pros and cons of exercise, HIT training or high intensity interval training took a huge surge in the mid 90s. And um, even furthermore, I would say with the birth of CrossFit in the, the I don't know what, like 2010, I guess. I, would, I don't know the date, but I would think I that. I think around there. Around was there when right? I started to hear about it. Yeah, the, the, the 2000s. <laughs> what do we call that? I don't know. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, HIT training really took a big hit um, of gains in the 90s and onward and the reasoning is that we saw metabolically that when we do these alternate alternating short bursts of high intensity exercise with gentle recovery that that helps to increase your anaerobic threshold and that also can help with surging HGH 
which is that human growth hormone, which can really help to support bulking or lean body mass and optimize fat burn. So that's when HIIT training took a huge kind of leap or platform. And now what's interesting to understand is your HGH bursts from HIIT occur when you are unconditioned. So like, yeah, your first three months of doing HIIT training or boot camp or your first three months of doing CrossFit, once you become conditioned to high intensity intervals, even if you're switching up your exercise regimen, you start to have less of an HGH HIIT and more of an adrenal HIIT. So you actually start to surge out cortisol or stress hormones in response at higher influence than you do the HGH. So instead of getting increase of your lean body mass and increase of testosterone and favorable metabolic and sexual hormone expression, the cortisol surges actually create more blood sugar imbalance. Um, and that blood sugar imbalance can also create um, less body fat burn and cortisol in excess can even create body fat gain. So definitely for a short term that can be beneficial, but we've seen over extensive period of time that that can work against you. Okay. And since we're defining these types of movements, let's talk about stretching and resistance training as other types of exercise. Sure. So I actually love both of those and I'm a huge proponent of, of like bar method and the types of movement that, that use both the active isolated active isolated stretching as well as resistance training and core exercises. So this to me is a great synergy that does not create distress on your physiological system. So the active isolated stretching is holding a stretch for periods of time that, that works with your body to enhance circulation and increase elasticity of your muscle joints and it helps your body to actually target and repair its own tissues and especially in the female body when we're looking a lot of women have resistance to resistance training <laughs> you know they kind of have a pushback because they don't want to quote unquote bulk up well i don't want to look masculine i don't want to bulk up well incorporating within your muscle movement and your gains and your resistance training the AIS or active isolated stretching, you're actually creating more elongation of the muscle fibers that you are forming. So it works really nice in synergy or as an isolated movement itself. Resistance training and core exercises are amazing. I mean, your body has 29 core muscles located throughout your back, your abdomen, your pelvis. Fantastic for reproductive health pre and postpartum for women. So when we're preparing body for baby, when we are postpartum, um, really fantastic to focus on the core as an area. Definitely when we're talking about things like constipation and digestive regularity, core is huge. When we're talking about aging and back pain, core is huge. So focusing on this as a foundational element of your movement is a great way to not only enhance your body's function and balance and stability, and optimize aging, but also helps metabolically to support your system. So within those two areas, we're talking about things like Pilates and yoga, and like I said, bar method as great ways to incorporate both resistance and core, as well as the isolated stretching. Awesome. So let's clarify then when we're talking about exercise being more harmful or deleterious to the body versus beneficial. Yeah, so you know, like like I started to kind of uh, reference, your body could take quite a toll on a nutritional level, on a micronutrient level, as well as on a HPA access, adrenal fatigue level, as well as a significant hit to the thyroid gland. So I'll kind of walk you through each of those. So micronutrient basis, we can see basically when you're doing aerobic activity, you're taking in a lot of oxygen. So when you're taking in a lot of oxygen, and we're talking about antioxidants, right? Antioxidants get depleted through oxygenation. So antioxidants get depleted through oxygen, light, heat, um, free radical exposure. So marathon runners, for instance, tend to have 
significant antioxidant depletion because of all of that oxidative stress, especially marathon runners in a big city where they're breathing in a lot of fumes and garbage, you know, toxic compounds within that excessive respiratory factor. So antioxidants can significantly get depleted, which can cause things like chronic fatigue syndrome, can cause things like higher risk for tumorigenic activity in the body, uh, also things like arthritis with ox antioxidant depletion. So that's definitely of a concern. We can also get amino acid deficiency from muscle wasting, especially if we're not providing adequate recovery to our muscles post-workout. So when we're looking at things like glutamine and serine, these are different amino acids or protein building blocks, if you will, that have other functional roles in the body. So serine plays a huge role in memory. It plays a huge role with cognition and has been tied in a lot of research to dementia. So for people that are exercising to have anti-aging effects, but creating serine depletion, they're working against the focus of their foundational movement. So definitely important on a micronutritional status to, if you are an exerciser, assess your micronutrient status at least annually through a blood test. And we'll put a link in our show notes of the micronutrient test and options of doing that with a 15 minute review or doing that and becoming a patient. And then we will work with you with therapeutic food goals to replete the deficiency trends. And if you're doing a lot of aerobic activity, I would definitely recommend use of something like our Super Turmeric, which has a very comprehensive blend of antioxidants and will help to protect that free radical exposure or oxidative stress. And then absolutely a micronutrient. I mean, I recommend good quality uh, micronutrient like our multi-defense across the board, especially if you're going to be in an increased demand or increased use through chronic exercising. Um, so uh, those are all things to consider as far as supplemental support and, and why so it could be a bad thing. The other area, so the adrenals and the thyroid, I mentioned how cortisol after use of HIIT training or that intensity um, or demand on the body that chronic aero, anaerobic excuse me, activity can start to go into the adrenals. So cortisol, you know, if you think of your body in HIIT training, like all of a sudden you're doing jumping jacks and then you're doing burpees and you're sprinting up a hill. It's like your body perceives that still in an adaptive way of running from a cheetah or a tiger, right? So it is in this fight or flight survival mechanism and your body starts surging cortisol in excess. And that again can start to drive belly fat. It can actually deplete testosterone and it can deplete muscle fibers. So it can actually cause muscle wasting, which can further lower that basal metabolic rate, which is one of the mechanisms again of why exercise can cause stubborn metabolism or inhibit your weight loss process. So. That's concerning and cortisol starts in excess and then over time it actually gets depleted and that's where we can see adrenal fatigue. So like Becky mentioned, a lot of our patients that we're working with for adrenal fatigue, if they are chronic exercisers, doing a lot of tennis um, or high intensity interval type training, they are kind of poofing the little poof smoke out of their adrenal glands, <laughs> the littlest amounts, wringing that dry sponge already to surge the cortisol for their, for their performance. And then that further prevents adrenal gland recovery. So that keeps them chronically adrenal fatigued. It can drive things like brain fog, difficulty concentrating, chronic fatigue syndrome, dips in energy levels, cravings for sugar. Um, it can drive anxiety, depression, insomnia. So it can play a huge role with circadian rhythm and satiation or satiety, as well as mood stability. And that can all definitely happen, especially the culprit from that intensity interval training type activity that mimics a stress response in the body. So both of those just hit so home for me um, as a former marathoner and spin class addict and all of that. Um, <laughs> what about, and, and I know that, you know, the adrenal piece, it can take a really long time to rebound um, after that kind of hit to your adrenals or, you know, it can be kind of a, a 
ongoing struggle. Yeah. What about the thyroid gland? How does that play into all of this? Yeah, you know, so the thyroid is regulated also by this HPA axis. So, you know, the hypothalamus can release thyroid releasing hormone or it can release corticotropin releasing hormone, CRH. So it either makes thyroid releasing hormone or it basically stimulates the adrenals. And then downstream, the pituitary either makes your ACTH, your adrenocorticotropic hormone, or it makes TSH, your thyroid stimulating hormone. And, and then what gets hit is either the thyroid or the adrenals. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, that right there, the fact that the HPA axis has to push its efforts towards the adrenals in that survival mechanism, the thyroid goes on the back burner. And the thyroid being the master gland of metabolism also is a hindrance on that basal metabolic rate. So when you're not exercising, then the thyroid is going to be underfueled or underperforming because of that excess stimulation of the adrenals. So it's definitely very interwound. And, um, you know, just taking that a step further, your uh when we're talking about autoimmune disease you know we talk so much with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and the influence of things like leaky gut um but we're really seeing actually there there was an I'll, I'll link this research study in our show notes that this this research study on overtraining and exercise induced adrenal insufficiency they were calling it exercise-induced Addison syndrome and so we're really seeing literally <laughs> disease states driven by exercise and now we're starting to throw potentially Hashimoto's thyroiditis in there because the TPO the thyroid peroxidase or the inflammation of the thyroid gland can absolutely be stimulated by overexercise as well this is something I say to clients all the time it's like no stress on the body is stress on the body you're your body doesn't know the darn difference if you're running from a tiger or if you're doing a spin class right um, right so I think this really kind of takes it home. Yeah, and again, um, you can you can ride a bicycle in a park <laughs> yeah. and and experience nature <laughs> and listen to birds and do things, right? Um, or you could like be yelled at by a spin instructor listening to I mean, there's worse things than listening to Beyond I would love to listen to Beyonce in a spin class. I still have not done that, but I really want to do one of those. But other than the Beyonce class <laughs> I don't really need a motivational lecture and, and a playlist. Um, I, I can experience nature in my bicycle, bicycle riding. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then even with overuse, there can be a negative impact of overexercise on the cardiovascular system, right? Yeah. So that might be kind of surprising, right? Like, well, but for sure you're benefiting this and that same thing. Your heart is a muscle man, you know I mean? So like you can overwork it. So there was actually a study released by the European Heart Journal in 2013 that uh, suggested that especially for those now that had a family history of irregular heartbeats, but overdoing the fat burning workout, which is also known as the anaerobic exercise, can contribute to poor cardiovascular health. In fact, the study looked at heart rhythms of over 52,000 cross-country skiers over a 10-year period, so pretty substantial population size, and they found that the risk of arrhythmia was increased with every race completed and was up to 30 times higher for those who competed year on year for a period of five years. So they found correlation of both exercise intensity um, so those that finished the fastest were at higher risk for arrhythmia. So the actual performance itself, as well as the intensity, so the intensity of the performance itself, as well as the quantity of the performance. So frequency and intensity um, were the big drivers that contributed towards arrhythmia or overworking the heart and creating irregular heartbeat. Okay. Wow. That is scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk now about some of the signs to look out for or or what to look for if we are over-exercising. What are our clues? Yeah, so feeling fatigued for more than 20 minutes post-workout. It's definitely normal to feel like, whoo, I killed it. You know, like want to lay down on the mat <laughs> after your output. But once you're beyond a 20-minute marker of your exercise and you're still feeling fatigued, that could be a, a sign of over-exercising. And this could be mental fatigue or physical fatigue. Another one would be if your circadian rhythm is off, um, 
So this might not even be directly related to your exercise time. You could be doing a spin class at 5 a.m., but you could have insomnia in the middle of the night. Um, or you could be dealing with chronic fatigue slumps at 3 p.m. But basically, that's an imbalance of that HPA axis, which shows that probably there's an adrenal insufficiency or an adrenal excess output, and that whole circadian rhythm cycle is getting thrown off from the overexercising. And that goes next to kind of the adrenaline junkie, <laughs> um, the ones that need to exercise to relax after a stressful day. Um, often that can be a symptom in itself or an irritability or short fuse would be another sign of overexercising. Having a hit to the immune system, so being very susceptible to cold or illness, um, getting, you know, coming down with everything that your coworkers have, or even having dermatological changes, that could be another sign of overexercising because the adrenals are very related to um, your histamine and cortisol response in the body. So cortisol actually has antihistamine properties. So dermatological changes, rashes, hives, and even increase of seasonal allergies so or use of hist antihistamines would be another sign of overexercising. We can see this even also with like sexual function. So erectile dysfunction, low libido, and then translating even to mood stability like depression and anxiety. That can play another symptom of overexercising, loss of appetite and weight, or on the other end of the spectrum, stubborn weight loss and insatiable appetite can be signs of overexercising. Let's see, a couple other ones, uh, weakness and muscle spasms or residual aches and pains, lactic acid buildup would be another big thing. Faintness and dizziness or chronic low blood pressure is often a sign of adrenal fatigue that can be induced by overexercising. And then we can see changes in blood sugar. So like hypoglycemia, blood sugar crashes, which can be uh, dizziness, uh, shakiness. Also that can drive uh, blood sugar um well, blood sugar dips, excuse me, which can also drive sugar cravings to kind of get out of that slump. Salt cravings, on the other hand, can also be associated with adrenal insufficiency. You sweat a lot with exercise, so when you overexercise, you can throw off your electrolyte stability, and we can get significant salt cravings. And then finally, I would say we can see some digestive distress. So actual food sensitivities, digestive disturbances. As I mentioned, you know, we can see amino acid depletion and glutamine is a uh, compound in, as an amino acid that plays a huge role with sore muscles when it becomes depleted. And it also is a building block and fuel source for our gut cells. So if glutamine becomes depleted, not only can we have sore muscles, but we can also have increased food sensitivity. We can have more propendency towards leaky gut. And then if you throw the adrenals into the equation and our cortisol is off, we can have inflammation on higher rampant um, influence in the body, which can further perpetuate that leaky gut. So having random all of a sudden, you know, I'm 35 and I have some food sensitivities, that could definitely be driven by overexercising as well. Okay, so that's quite the long list. There yeah. <laughs> are a lot of symptoms associated. Um, so, Allie, are there any benefits to high-intensity interval training or HIIT training, or is it just depleting? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, like I said in the beginning, you can definitely get that surge of HGH, assuming that you're not in a state of adrenal insufficiency to start with and um, also assuming that you don't become conditioned to it. So I recommend in general, if you are someone that is not dealing with hypothyroidism, so your thyroid is healthy, even if it's not autoimmune, even if it's just clinical hypothyroidism, I don't recommend a low thyroid individual to do HIIT training, period. But for someone that has a, a healthy functioning thyroid, and they're not dealing with adrenal fatigue. So a lot of those symptoms I just mentioned, if you're not dealing with any of those, then absolutely the high intensity training could be appropriate like two at max three times a week. And then rotating that otherwise with aerobic activity and then that lean body mass paired with the lean body mass resistance training paired with stretching um, would be a good way. And I recommend regardless taking at least one, but I recommend taking two days a week off and just doing gentle passive movement on those days. 
day. And then any key movements or practices that you would recommend to incorporate? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I said, this movement is great. So aerobic movement, um, lean body mass resistance, all incorporating cadence and resilient rebounding activities like deep breathing yoga. But toning the core, I cannot emphasize enough. Like I said, you know, for hormonal transition for aging for back health but toning the core is so important also again for digestive health and for your circulatory and lymphatic flow remember that in a restful state a majority of your blood flow is in your centralized area by all your vital organs and your digestive tract so upregulating your core through movement enhances your lymphatic flow your circulatory flow and that can help with sexual hormone balance and also detoxification. So planks with their many variations. Um, so, you know, starting in a plank, uh, I don't recommend plank challenges as far as you'll see online or Pinterest, like three to five minute plank challenges. I'm not a fan of that because that can actually cause an umbilical hernia. Like you can actually distress your abdomen muscles. So using planks more with variations, and I don't recommend going over a minute of a plank, but doing them for multiple, what's the word? Multiple reps, I guess would be the term. Sure. Sure. Like multiple. You can tell we're not gym people. (laughs) (laughs) Multiple reps of planks, like doing like five sets, if you will, of minute planks are great. And then working variations within planks. So beyond the standard plank, um, doing like rocking on your toes, um, lifting up a leg for 20 reps of uh, movement and then relaxing, then doing another plank for 30 seconds and at 30 seconds on lifting up that left leg for 20 movements and relaxing, then doing a plank and extending your right arm out in the air. All of these different variations of planks are gonna work different micro muscles and create different conduction within your muscle which is going to continue to strengthen the core and enhance that circulatory and lymphatic flow so huge fan of planks and that can be done daily and incorporating variations within that but again not pushing each plank movement beyond a minute or so push-ups would be another awesome thing you can do at home for free modifications of push-ups whether you start on your knee whether you're starting on your forearm starting on a wall putting your feet up on your couch or on a balance ball. This is a great way to incorporate the the upper uh, chest area and also the arms and shoulders and upper back. Um, Great way to still work that core region. Squats would be another thing that we can do to work the glutes. And again, all of these things are lean body mass. So we're actually creating more thermogenesis or caloric burn versus as we discussed in the beginning of this episode, how exercise can at times deplete your basal metabolic rate. If we're not creating the micronutrient deficiency, and if we're not distressing the adrenals and the thyroid, we're not going to have to see that BMR drop as we would with chronic exercising. So these types of things, planks, push-ups, squats are great, even incorporating like five to 10 pound arm weights. Um, So this is something that I did pre-Stella and then started doing (laughs) at like six months out because I have this like ongoing paranoia of, I call it the hello Irma. It's like the chicken wing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. The mom arm. Um, I have a huge paranoia of having mom arms. And so I do a little like five to seven minute movement with my arm weights uh, for my like one show a night that I watch. And I try to keep the weights next to the couch. So they're kind of visually there and I just do it. You just kind of surrender and do it. So any combination of things like curls, so like whether you're doing micro curls or macro curls. So macro curls would be a full arm bend. Micro curls would be like those little tray lifts that you're doing, which works different areas of the arm. Pushbacks would be a great thing for that uh, tricep, as well as side adductions, like making T's with your arms. And, and you could do little circles with your weights above the head, also for your triceps. So all different movements that you can do in reps of like 20 and do like two to three sets and incorporate maybe planks throughout. That's a great at-home resistance training. And then walking your dog, walking a stroller, walking yourself and listening to our podcast is a great add-on to this. Um, Another thing I want to mention for you guys that I did a lot when I was doing my research with MD Anderson with breast cancer was sun salutations. 
So sun salutations are an awesome thing as far as helping. We, we worked on this a lot when women were getting their um, chest expanders put in bef after they had had a mastectomy, before they had reconstructive surgery, because a, a big concern is lymphedema. And so the sun salutations are that kind of classic, and you know more than me, Becky, as a yoga instructor, but that kind of like classic, is it called a shavasana? What is it called? Movement? <laughs> a vinyasa? A vinyasa is the whole the yeah. movement. Yeah. Uh, but you could do even a modified sun salutation where you kind of reach up for the sky, take a breath, and you want to do it all with breath and then bend over, touch your toes, or get as close as you can. It's the halfway lift and the the step back into a plank and the lower down and the up dog and the down dog and then going back is a full um vinyasa if vinyasa. you will but even just doing a modification of that of reaching up to the sky with one breath lowering down to the floor with another looking up halfway and then coming back up would mm -hmm. be sufficient but i like it with the whole plank and the down dog yeah. that that really works that lymphatic flow and that works that core into it and it is intentional and purposeful and it is movement and it really can help to boost your metabolism because it could also help to harness your HPA access. So you actually can be working to rebound your adrenals versus burn out your adrenals by doing some of this kind of focused therapeutic movement. So love that. And with that being said, the, the last thing I'll mention as far as movement is foam roller. So foam roller, I generally recommend patients to use in their evening ritual of their sleep hygiene, as I call it. And I think that adults need sleep hygiene just like babies and children do. So how you can incorporate different movements on your foam roller, which help to get into your fascia and release all that tension from the day and create circulation of that lactic acid buildup um, and help with glycine and, and all those relaxing compounds in the body that we want to create circulatory flow of. Um, and uh, that can help with lubrication because there's that whole, if you don't use it, you lose it type thing. And, you know, again, this is not an anti-exercise episode. We want you guys to be moving your bodies on a daily basis. And we want you to incorporate beyond just passive movement like washing your dishes and parking your car further <laughs> and all of those kind of whatever things that you hear in a corporate presentation. We want you to use intentional, purposeful movement as well that supports your body but also enhances your longevity versus burns that candle at high heat and creates the burnout. I love that. I think that makes so much sense and it's well put. Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, it speaks to me anyway. Um, so I know you always like to work food into every conversation. So let's talk about what the best pre and post workout fuel would be. Absolutely. So if you are in a state of ketosis, or if you pause this and purchased one of the last spots <laughs> and you're going into ketosis, you can exercise in a fasted state. In fact, they're doing a lot of studies now and a lot of Olympic athletes and NFL players and uh, you know professional athletes are using fat as fuel because it can be more sustained. It's less irregular than glucose or blood sugar. So you can exercise in a fasted state. And that would mean you could just drink water and go to the gym. Bum, bum, bum. And that like goes against everything I used to tell people. But that's if your body's adapted to using fat as fuel. Now beyond that, if you want to have a little bit of grounding fat to hold over your appetite, you could do like a fat bomb or you could do keto coffee pre-workout and all that could work just fine. Now for those of you that are not in ketosis and are not fat adapted and you're using blood sugar as your fuel, not on the high octane stuff of fat, you do want to have something pre-gym because otherwise your liver is going to be working in overtime because your liver was just managing your blood sugar while you slept. Now you're waking up. The whole point of breakfast is breaking the fast. Um, so if you're not in keto and you're waking up and you're going into exercise, now the liver is working beyond a 12-hour shift or 8-hour shift and it's continuing to try to surge um, and create blood sugar for your system so you don't crash. So I definitely recommend um, you to have something like nut butter 
or even a small or moderate carb, like a small piece of fruit with nut butter or a little bit of Greek yogurt with berries pre-workout. Um, or you could do just fat and protein, like an, a hard-boiled egg with some nuts. Um, but definitely something that incorporates a little bit of fat and a moderate amount of carb um, or a little bit of protein and a little bit of fat would be fine pre-workout. And post-workout is the most important time if you are doing carbs to have carbs because this is going to refill your glycogen stores and prevent uh, muscle depletion or a deterioration or a really significant breakdown. Um, things like rhabdomyolysis where we get substantial muscle wasting and um, can actually get some clinical physiological concerns. So repleting your glycogen stores with glucose or, or carbohydrate foods um, would be best within 20 minutes of your exercise and that's going to refill that storage in the muscle and also help you with muscle gains. Also, protein within 20 minutes of your exercise at at least 20 grams of biological protein is super important post-workout, and that's going to help to rebuild your amino acids that were depleted or kind of lost in the tearing of your musculature. If you don't have that protein within 20 minutes, and, and that's like a magic number, a half hour would be great, uh, but if you don't have that protein that soon after workout, your body's going to catabolize or eat its own muscle as fuel. So definitely important. So we could do like a scoop of grass-fed whey with almond milk and even, you know, throw that in a ball jar or a shaker or totally, something. Totally, totally. Um, if you don't live close by to your gym, because that is, it's a short window. Yeah, <laughs> and you could pair that with a small piece of fruit and call it a day sure. for sure. Mm-hmm. You could make a, make a smoothie. Any of our smoothies in the Naturally Nourished Cookbook could be great options for you there because they all pair in that grass-fed way. So you could also pre-blend your smoothie pre-workout and then bring it and then just kind of shake it up or keep it in a cooler. Um, you could do a frittata, like a slice of an egg frittata or have eggs and veggies, and that'd be a great time to incorporate like sweet potatoes in there. But I love your recommendation, Becky, of the Naturally Nourished Grass-Fed Way because it is the most bioavailable. So especially if you're doing substantial muscle utilization in your exercise, like if you were using weights at a gym, you definitely want to go for the grass-fed way over something like eggs because you're going to be able to use those amino acids or repair that muscle that was torn. Awesome. I think that's super helpful. And then lastly, if you are experiencing the adrenal fatigue or thyroid issues, what are just a couple of quickies? Because I know we have episodes on totally. both of these, but yes. um, a couple of quick supplements and food as medicine supports. Yes. So I would definitely recommend the Adrenal Support Bundle, um, which has the Adrenal Support Supplement, which is a glandular. Um, so it actually has adrenal gland in there. It has B6, um, and it helps to rebound the adrenals. So helps with anyone that's dealing with that chronic fatigue syndrome influence. And then also has Adaptogen Boost, which is for stress-induced fatigue and calm and clear to help to regulate our stress response both levels of stressed and wired and stressed and tired. So the adrenal support bundle is a great thing. If you are someone that is a chronic exerciser, you're not willing to give it up, get on the adrenal bundle so you don't burn out those glands or you can start to at least work uphill and recover the glands in the process of active overuse. Um, so definitely an important thing. And I have all of my CrossFitters on the adrenal support bundle as an example. Boost and burn would be another one if you're dealing with that fatigue and you want to optimize your fat burn that has L-carnitine and carnitine converts body fat as the best fuel source. So if you're doing a lot of that anaerobic exercise and you want to get your best bang for your buck and maintain muscle mass um, while burning fat, boost and burn would be a great option for you there. It also has ribose, which can help with energy production and manufacturing in the body. So great for sustained active energy and using the fat as fuel. And then uh, foods, I would say maca would be a great one to consider. So adding maca powder to your smoothies would be a wonderful thing to do. That's going to help to tonify that pituitary gland, which helps to stimulate both the adrenals and the thyroid and can help with things like oxytocin, bliss factor, libido. So getting maca in on a daily basis can help to preserve both the adrenals and the thyroid gland and optimize that pituitary for a whole system approach. And about two teaspoons can be tossed into your smoothies. 
And then uh, vitamin C would be another good thing. Your adrenals are actually the highest storage gland of vitamin C in the body. A lot of people don't know that. Um, check out on our blog the Adrenal Rehab Shake, which incorporates the juice of an entire lemon. It incorporates buffered sea powder. It incorporates an, a pretty um, copious amount of salt <laughs> to uh, work with the aldosterone and sodium regulation in the adrenal glands. And uh, I believe maybe turmeric in there, but it's a really good anti-inflammatory adrenal supporting component. It literally drinks like a Gatorade. Um, so really good also post-workout fuel that you could consider adding in that grass-fed way to be more of a comprehensive option, or you could take that as like a shooter and then do a smoothie. And then the grass-fed way, I just want to mention for podcast listeners, we do have a coupon code that we've had for a while, but it is still on. Um, it's podcast 20, all caps, for 20% off of the naturally nourished grass-fed way. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I hope that we have really allowed some of you listening to give yourself permission to mellow out and focus more on your food and dietary intake as a greater driver of body composition versus beating up your body and expecting it to be good to you all the time. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so on the other hand, be mindful of incorporating movement, but be kind to your body and likely it will respond favorable. And breath is really key and listening to feedback for your, from your body is essential. As always, if you think this is you and you aren't getting outcomes from our simple solutions, just consider working with a practitioner for advanced testing. And you can find out more on AllieMillerRD.com under my clinic, the labs tab, or you can just apply to become a client. Awesome. So thank you all for listening. As Becky said, permission slip to mellow out and take deep breath and incorporate functional therapeutic movement on a daily basis, but be kind to your body. And um, as always, uh, take a moment if you can to jump over to iTunes and leave us a review. It really helps Becky and I to continue our work to put out quality content to you guys. And um, we are happy and thrilled and grateful to continue to support your wellness journey. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.